complete the turnaround and the better part of the season. But after winning yet another game, Inter-Miami is once again within touching distance of the playoff spot. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio. I am half of your co-hosting team of this podcast, the number one podcast on Inter-Miami, providing you all the latest news, analysis, opinions, and more. My name is Franco Penizo, and joining me once again is Jose Armando. Jose, I hope your loan turns into a permanent deal because you've been around for quite a bit and doing a very good job. So how was the rest of your weekend, brother? How was your Sunday? I know you had some Dolphins coverage to do. Did you have any papayons? Was there any time for some papayons in the meantime as well? <laughs> Hi, Franco. Thanks for having me again. Um, well, the Dolphins were playing on the road. So um, initially, I have to be honest, I, I woke up thinking the game was at 1 p.m. So when I checked the schedule and I, as I was getting ready to work the game, I noticed that it was at 4 p.m. So, nah. I didn't like that a lot, but it's okay. <laughs> they got the win in the end, so I'm I'm glad. You know, it's a lot easier to work uh, with with our home teams when they win because everybody's happy and everybody wants to talk. <laughs> Press conference and everything are so much different. But it was a good Sunday, a lot of fun. Now getting ready for Inter Miami tomorrow night. Yeah, and you did have to work that game, so I'm and I'm gonna take by your omission of a response that you did not have some discounted Papa Youngs yesterday. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have um, Papa John's. I had. Let me see what I had for lunch yesterday. I, I don't even remember what I had for lunch. <laughs> I had some Mexican food. Okay. Yeah. Well, my my family uh, they definitely gave me a ring and a buzz, and they were like, "Hey, can you order the Papa John's for us online?" Because they're they're not as technologically savvy. So I had to help <laughs> my parents with that, and they did enjoy some discounted Papa Young's, as we say. Because of the Miami accent. Of course, this show is not actually brought to you by Papa John's. I know people might think that because we bring it up from time to time. But it's actually not. Not yet anyway. So uh, if anyone from Papa John's is listening and wants to make that happen, uh, give us a shout. But, Jose, on a more serious note, Inter-Miami won yet again this past weekend. 1-0 win versus the Columbus crew. We're going to touch on that game in this week's pod. We're also going to preview the game against Toronto FC that happens on Tuesday night this week. A, a very strange bit of scheduling there. Uh, a rare Tuesday night game for Inter-Miami and a rare Tuesday night game in MLS. So we have a lot to talk about in a short amount of time. We're going to try to keep this pod condensed because it is a very quick turnaround from one game to the next. We don't have that extra day. So let's try to keep it short, but let's try to keep it thorough as well and as analytical and with the quality that we always bring. So Jose, let's get to it. All right, Jose, I still haven't come up with a nickname for you, but I'm going to by the next time you're on this podcast, I promise. As for this weekend's game, Inter-Miami, as I mentioned before, picked up a 1-0 win versus the Columbus Crew. A third straight clean sheet for the South Florida side, which has now lost only once in the last 10 games. And it leapfrogged the reigning MLS Cup champions crew for into ninth place in the Eastern Conference and is now two points away from a playoff spot. But so finally, finally, it can see the playoff line. It's right there. It's a game away. Could be reached as soon as this week. But this was the starting lineup for Inter Miami. And this one, Nick Marsman in goal. Lewis Morgan as the right wing back. Your three center backs from right to left were Leandro Gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Figal, and Christian McCoon. Your left wing back was Breck Shea. Your midfield consisted of Gregory and Blaise Matuidi. And up top were Rodolfo Pizarro and Robbie Robinson on the right and left wings respectively. And up top was Gonzalo Higuain who got the game-winning goal in the first half. Jose, what were your thoughts or your biggest takeaway from this one? Well, I think we're going to sound very repetitive, but you know the reality is that right now, defensively, the team is performing well. And again, they had a good performance um, over the weekend. And um, again, I'll go to that because you know that's what's working for this team right now. Although as we move on in the podcast, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about my concern with this team defensively as we move forward because as we know they're playing tomorrow and they're playing again on Friday. But defensively they did a, they did a good job again. Um, they they limited Columbus Crew, um, especially in the first half. I think the second half for Columbus with with Yassi now in the game and you know a couple of adjustments that that were made by Kelly Porter. They were able to put a little bit of more pressure defensively on. On my on Inter Miami, 
but in the end, I think defensively, again, another good performance for, for Phil Neville and, and for his team. My biggest takeaway is that at this point, it's clear that Phil Neville has righted the ship, that he has turned this around from where it was at the end of July when Inter Miami lost 5-0 to the New England Revolution, and it looked like, well, it was rock bottom for this team. They were on a consecutive game losing streak. That was the biggest loss the team has ever had in its short history. We talked about about his job security at that point, whether he deserved to go or whether he would go because of his relationship with David Beckham. They stuck by him. He changed the makeup of the team with the with the formation that we've seen now, and it's gotten them results. It hasn't been the prettiest soccer. Let's be honest, it has been pretty ugly in a lot of games. But it's being it's effective and it's gotten into Miami to the point now where they're in the picture for the playoff spot. They're they're right there now within touching distance. So Phil Neville deserves a lot of credit for the turnaround he's done. Obviously still some places to to improve, but very remarkable for Inter Miami that they've been able to turn this around with by and large the same team. Obviously there's some new pieces in there. Nick Marsman, Kieran Gibbs, Indiana Vasilev, but by and large it's the same exact team and and Phil Neville deserves credit for that just as he deserved criticism during the first couple of months of the season when things were were pretty pretty poor and, and we were talking about the lack of results and performances yeah I, I i happen to agree with you and and you know it's it's hard sometimes to criticize a team that you know you know for inter miami fans they they know um the struggle from the get-go from trying to get the team hit down here and then you start thinking about those days when you had no soccer at all here now you have professional soccer but it's part of the job as well to criticize and now that they're doing things well, that they're getting good results, you know, it's time to acknowledge the work that Phil Phil has been able to do with this team. I think, you know, um, from from what I hear from every single player, I think, you know, the the, the most important thing for this team right now is the collective effort, and uh, and then that's on the coaching staff. That's on the coaching staff, you know, for for the players to understand that they have to work together to win games. That that's on Phil and his coaching staff. So a lot of credit to them. Let's listen to this quote from Phil Neville on that very topic. And then we'll change gears to diving into the X and O's, the X and O's, excuse me, of the game. Let's listen to this from Phil Neville. And that was the most important thing. Without each other, if you're not going to run for each other, you're not going to cover for each other, you're not going to give the ball and trust each other, if you're not going to push each other in training, if you're just going to come into training, do your job, and go home, then go and be an electrician. You know, at football, you need to be a team, and uh, we focus really hard on that. We focus really hard on that. Jose, listening to Phil there. Again, it's it's the team mantra, the team now playing as a as a collective, as a unified group, and everyone being much more bought in than they were at the start of the season. It's it's pretty impressive to me because they've pretty much practically flipped a switch with by and large the same squad, something that did not seem possible. Again, after that five to zero defeat to the New England Revolution, I thought anywhere else in the world I'm, and I, I'm still of the belief that I think anywhere else in the world or almost anywhere else in the world Phil Neville probably would have gotten let go but he was given more time to work on his project work what his processes were and he got to turn this team around do you chalk it up just to the the team spirit or are there other things at play here as well because I think you know there were some tough decisions he also made like taking the captain's armband away from that rotating uh, band of four. I think also the formation has also helped out a, gr- a great bit. I think his familiarity with maybe the team and the strengths of certain players and certain partnerships, I think that's helped in a, in a big way. But do you attribute it just to team mentality or do you attribute it to, to other factors as well? Well, there's team mentality, but I think, you know, bringing players like Mars, man, I think especially, you know, Karen Gibbs, because as soon as Gibbs started playing for for Inter Miami, it seemed like everybody started to believe in the formation because he was so good coming from the left, um, you know, attacking constantly but working on the defensive side of the field as well. Um, so he was the player that showed me that that formation could actually work. And um, because, as you know, in MLS, teams are not necessarily defensive-minded. And so... I thought, well, playing with three in the back, at times it looked like it was five. Um, it's going to be a challenge because usually teams in MLS hired 
good forwards, you know, players that are that, that are good in the attacking part. And so I had my thoughts about that. But as soon as I saw Karen Gibbs, I thought, well, maybe there's a chance for this to work, as well as Indiana as well, coming on the right side, switching sides. You know, it's about bringing players in, bringing the right player, not necessarily the player that is going to um, sell out the stadium in tickets or break records in jerseys sold during the season, but the player that is going to contribute and the player that you actually need for the system that you have in place. So uh, I think team mentality comes first and then, you know, bringing the right players at the right time. Well, let's jump into the X and O of this game. Let's start with Gonzalo Higuain because he scored the game winner in the 16th minute, pouncing on an errant, ill-advised back pass from crew center back Josh Williams. And then he races forward there in the final third. Gonzalo Higuain does and chips the ball over Eloy Room. A bit of a soft chip. Didn't get enough of it to see the ball go in over the goal line cleanly. It's almost cleared off the line, or it was attempted to get cleared off the line, but it finds the back of the net all the same, and Inter-Miami takes a 1-0 lead fairly early, and that was enough in this one. They hold on to onto the lead for the three points, so a victory for Inter-Miami, which is now unbeaten in, in their last five and has won four of those last five. After the game, Gonzalo Higuain touched on the motivation that he has from seeing his family at the stadium because obviously his goal celebration, it was a bit curious at first. He did a lot of different gestures. We from the press box didn't know what they meant, but I had a feeling that it was about something about for his family because he, he ran over to the same section of the stadium, which looks to be a VIP suite where apparently his family was or where his family was. He admitted that after the game or, or said that after the game. He was also making gestures towards them before the game. I saw him. I don't know if it was blowing a kiss, but he definitely signaled towards that same area that he ran over to and pointed to after his goal when the two teams came out uh, onto the field before the national anthem. So you can see that he is in a much better place, not only physically, because he's also running a lot more on the field than maybe we saw at the beginning of the season, but he's also in a better place mentally. So I think that's notable. I mean, he even said that after the game, that having his family around and being able to hug them is, is something that gives them a little extra strength to give a little more. So what do you think about Gonzalo Higuain's latest performance and his admission after the game that having his family around has, has helped bring him peace of mind? Well, when it comes to family, I think especially here in South Florida, we can all relate to that, right? Because most of us come from, come, come from someplace else and we have family outside of the States. And so um, I think it, it, we can relate. Right. Having family when they come over on vacation or to visit, you know, it's a special moment. And for a football player as well, it's the same. And, you know, they have um, they have a great platform. And um, and I'm sure um, Gonzalo enjoys his family. Um, and, and he did mention this right after what happened with his with his mother. Um you know, it's it's important for him to to have that relationship nearby, and so I can understand that. And and I think he's performing at a higher level. I think just a few weeks ago we we're talking about it, and um, you know, it's going to be a challenge for him because you know, with the team um, relying so much uh, on the defensive side, you know, there are going to be games in which you know he's not going to get the ball a lot, and and that's the reality of this team right now. And so he's going to have to be patient and just understand how this team is built right now. And, you know, I don't think you can change much. And if it's working, I don't think Phil will like to change anything at all. So he's performing at a higher level. There's no doubt about that. And, and, and hopefully he can continue that. Although, remember, it's going to be very important for him to be a top shape because, um, you know, as we get closer to the end of the regular season, uh, he's going to be needed more and more. He's the key player. He's the designated player for this team that everybody expect, expect goals from. Now, he did have some interesting remarks at during his post-game press conference, and we'll touch on that at the end of this segment because I do think they are worth talking about in a little more in a little more detail. But I agree with you that he is in a better place, and that Inter Miami is reaping the benefits of that. He's reaping the benefits of that. We know what happened to his late mother. That obviously impacted him. He said as much during the course of the season. 
But now having his his wife and his daughter in market and having them attend games and being able to see them while he's running around on the field or while you know he's he's maybe a little bit gassed, maybe that does inspire him to to push a little harder or push a little more. Obviously, you could see how much the goal meant to him and, and the ability to be able to celebrate with his family right there in front of him, something he touched on as well after the game in a whole lot of detail. He even said that that was something he's dreamt about or dreamed about most of his life. So a notable, notable moment there for Gonzalo Higuain and one that should only serve to push him forward through the final stretch of this season. Let's touch on the collective showing a little bit here, Jose. Inter-Miami defensively was very good again. The attack was not because the only goal comes off of that poor back pass from Josh Williams that Gonzalo Higuain pounces on and finishes opportunistically there in that first half. Besides that, Inter-Miami only had another one more shot on target. Didn't create a whole lot yet again. It got the job done, but the attack still leaves something to be desired. What do you think about the defensive performance? And then what do you think about the attacking performance? Well, the, the the defensive performance was good and and was more more like what we have um, what we have seen in the last few weeks. Now, offensively, I did expect a little bit more this game, just because you're playing at home, um, and especially when the team had possession, I think um, they were not very creative offensively. As a matter of fact, the goal comes out of a mistake from the opponent, and um, I think it it comes down to two things. Um, Lewis Morgan is not involved offensively. I mean, don't don't get it wrong because he's doing everything that this team needs. But for some reason, he's just not able to be um, that player that moves forward consistently with consistency with the ball. And he he's unable to at least during the weekend he wasn't able to he wasn't able to connect with uh, uh, the midfielders, uh, which you know you don't have a lot of options when you're playing with three in the back. But still, there was no connection there. And that's the one thing for me. And on the other side, break Shea as well. You know, I don't I don't see him as a, as a player that is going to build um, out of the back. You know, it's hard for him to to play at the same tempo for his teammates, especially offensively. And so I think that's where it was troubling, especially in the first half and when they had possession. Now, in the second half, it's a completely different story because Phil Neville um, thought about closing things out especially in the last 20 to 25 minutes. If you see the substitutions in the game, you know, basically uh, Inter-Miami ended, ended the game in a 5-4-1 formation, so very defensive-minded. Um, it was it was just about keeping the score uh, the same, not allowing uh, Columbus to tie the game, which almost happened, by the way, at the end. And, and if that uh, was the case, we probably have a different conversation right now. But, you know, that was the idea from Phil, and it's on Phil, right? If the if the offensive performance in the last 20 minutes wasn't great at all from Inter-Miami, it was basically because they didn't have the personnel on the field to perform at a high level offensively. So I think... I would disagree in terms of the overall attacking performance because I think what what it came down to, because we know what the formation is by and large, and I know you touched on Lewis Morgan, and I agree there to an extent, but not fully. But I think what happened here in this game, from my analysis and my rewatching the game, was that the Columbus crew won the possession battle. They won it 58-42, to if I'm not mistaken, trying to think off the top of my head here. I think that's the Columbus crew being good with the ball. And I think that's also Inter-Miami scoring early because with them scoring early, naturally, naturally, the other team's going to start pushing more numbers forward to try to find an equalizer. They're going to take more chances, more risks, and the team that has the lead is going to maybe just naturally also defend a little bit more, maybe drop their lines a bit and try to stay tight to protect that lead, especially Inter-Miami given how... It focuses on being solid defensively. So I think the early goal, combined with just the crew being good in terms of moving the ball around in the center of the park, I think both of those things combined for Inter-Miami to not have a lot of the ball. And then when they did have the ball, weren't able to really click and find each other, especially in the final third. Now defensively, an exceptional showing once again. I never got the sensation, I don't know about you, but I never got the feeling during the run of play, all right, Inter-Miami's at risk of losing this lead. Obviously, it's a 1-0 game. 
anything can happen and, and Columbus could have an opportunity, a penalty kick, a handball. You know, the game was always within reach for them, but I never got the feeling that the Columbus crew were going to to pull this level. They were never overwhelming Inter-Miami despite having a lot of the ball. They never really created all that much danger in the final third to make you think, all right, Inter-Miami's defense is, is bound to, to let one in. So another solid performance for the defense for me. Nick Marsman and Gregory were both named to the MLS team of the week earlier today on Monday when we're recording this podcast. I thought they, I thought they both had good games. I thought Gregory was really, really good. I thought the three center backs were also very, very good. None of them three made the MLS team of the week, but a good defensive showing. The attack, again, not not the best day for them. They started okay with looking for Robbie Robinson with runs in behind on the left, but once the Columbus crew adjusted to that, he had no more ideas for how to attack, and Inter-Miami lost their ideas for how to attack. I thought Gonzalo Higuain was pretty sharp in terms of a lot of his passing and dribbling and a lot of his touches, but... He dropped back quite a bit and and was pretty much not a, a target up top anymore. He was just more of a playmaker in this one. So a lot of things to address there for Phil Neville. What do you think is the biggest thing he has to address going forward? Well, I, I don't like... I'm going to tell you something that I don't like about this team. And, and, and Pipita mentioned it. Uh, and it happened uh, this weekend against Columbus. Um... Inter Miami cannot become a team that scores and forgets about the offensive side, right? You know, if you're going to score at, at this level, um, you know, and, and you're going to be up, uh, up by one goal, that doesn't mean that you you're going to win the game, and you cannot rely every single day on your defensive side because they they will make mistakes at times. You know, everything looks great right now. But it's going to come the time in which, you know, Makuni Slade or Figal um, is, is not good with the ball coming out of the back, which he usually is, but he's going to make that mistake. Or Leandro Gonzalez Pires uh, misses an assignment. You know, that will happen. So when that, whenever that happens, you don't want to be able, you don't want to be the team that usually thinks that they can flip the switch anytime they need a goal. Because that's not uh, what Inter Miami is. So I, I did not like that the team was um, exclusively concentrating on uh, on defending and and not attacking at all. Listen, at times in the second half, they had um, a, a, a formation in which they had at the top um, Robert Robinson and uh, Pipite Wain, and yet they had a lot of trouble getting the ball. So if you're going to change the formation and you're going to put uh, Pizarro behind him, you have to help him out a little bit. If you're going to have two at the top, you either have to choose whether you want to risk it and go for the second goal or you want to defend. And at times I thought they were a little bit undecided on what they wanted to do. So I don't want Inter-Miami to become that team that usually scores and then forgets about attacking. I think that's not a good combination and that is not going to go well. And especially if they're able to make it to the playoffs, oh boy, that doesn't work there. Yeah, I think I think the recipe, like you say, is not necessarily the greatest one because the or the formula is not the greatest one because... You're not always going to get an ill-advised back pass to pounce on like they did in this one. Or you're not always going to get a great last-minute goal like they got against FC Cincinnati the week before. Which, hey, that was a great goal. Golazo. We said that last week on the podcast. But it came at the very end, and that was their only shot on target. Again, in this one against the Columbus Crew, only two shots on target. And then if you go back, now we're going back three games. The 0-0 draw against Orlando City. Not a whole lot in that one either for Inter-Miami. So the attack needs to improve because I don't think this is sustainable. I don't think grinding out 1-0 wins or 0-0 draws is going to be sustainable unless you know the attack improves. Because they need more. They need more than, than what they've showed lately. It's inevitable that other teams are going to find cracks in the defense or the ball's just going to end up bouncing not in your favor at some point. So... I do think they need to adjust the attack and, and find solutions for that attack. And, and the last thing I want to touch on here on this game is that one solution that needs to be found or that needs to be addressed is Gonzalo Higuain and Rodolfo Pizarro's understanding and their partnership. Because they're two designated players 
And they have only, as I wrote today on Miami Total Football, they have only directly contributed to one goal between themselves. And that was the Gonzalo Higuain pass to Rodolfo Pizarro for the first goal in the Toronto FC victory last month. So the three, excuse me, the victory against Toronto FC last month. So besides that, this entire season, they have not directly combined for a goal. And that's normally not what you would expect from a number 10 and a number 9. I know Pizarro's playing on the wing now. He's not the the, the creative attacking midfielder that he was earlier in the season or not used in that type of role. But, but I think there needs to be a way for them to get on the same page. Because if you look at this game or if you read that piece or even look at some tweets that I put out today with some images... There are different moments in the game, particularly in the second half, where they both occupy similar spaces. And this is not the first time that they've done something like this, but it was, again, very notable in this game because they they essentially marked themselves. They essentially covered themselves because they were just so close to each other. Now, why that happens is because Gonzalo Higuain, who's playing the number nine position, the striker position, he drops back into a pseudo 10 role. He's kind of just a, a makeshift number 10. He looks to pick up the ball or get on the ball, and so he drops deep. Pizarro, who plays, who's playing out on the, on the wing, on the, on the right wing, he likes to drift inwards to help also find the ball and likes to combine, He get, and he's also given that freedom, that tactical freedom from Phil Neville. So he also drifts inside from his outside position to try and find the ball. But they both end up occupying a lot of the similar positions at similar times, and that again is is rendering them as a as a as a bystander. They're they're just not taking part in the game because you can't pass the ball to both of them if they're both standing uh, at the at, in the same exact spot on on the same exact sequence. So, I mean, or you can, but only only one of them can get to it. So, that that has to be corrected in my opinion. I don't know how you go about that because it's to me it's starting to look pretty clear that they're that they maybe just don't fit together as as a as a partnership as a duo las asociaciones como se dice en español as we say in spanish that one doesn't seem to be really clicking i think it can improve but i don't know how much it can improve well actually i think that's a good thing i wouldn't change that i would encourage that from this team i have been telling you franco from the get go that for this team to be successful rodo pizarro and pipita iguain they have they don't have to be best friends off the field but when they are on the field they have to connect as much as possible so i would rather have them play side by side than pipita on one side of the field and roll on the on the complete opposite i think that's a good thing let them go at it like them let them make mistakes let them fight a little bit on on the field and off the field i don't care something will come up from them playing together close by. I think that's exactly what Miami needs offensively. That will open up space for the wingers, whether it's um, Lewis Morgan or Robbie Robinson. Listen, those are the two players for Inter-Miami. If they have good games together, Miami will have good performances offensively. And that's the one thing they're missing right now. So hopefully they don't listen to you at all. <laughs> and they can continue to play together side by side, hand by hand, if you if you want. I don't care. Just have them play together and pass the ball between each other. Build some chemistry. I am rubbing my hands here together and smiling because now we get to actually have a little bit more of a debate here. And I've been looking to debate with you because <laughs> we, we tend to agree quite a bit. But no, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree that having them both occupy similar positions and be so close to each other that that benefits them. Because if you look at the numbers at this game, if I mean, I'm an eye test guy, but if you look at the numbers after the fact, Rodolfo Pizarro had the second fewest touches in the game after Robbie Robinson in this one. Now, you can attribute that to Inter-Miami not being very good in the attack and not having a lot of the possession. That's fine. But he also just doesn't get the ball a lot because Gonzalo Higuain drops into similar areas and is the one picking up the ball. There was one play, clearly, and again, you can see this on my Twitter handle, at Franco Panizo. There's one play in the second half. I think it's in the 72nd minute. Inter-Miami's entering the final third, and the ball gets played from the left side back to Blaise Matuidi, and Matuidi looks up to find who he's going to pass it to, and he has literally two yards away from each other are Gonzalo Higuain and Rodolfo Pizarro in a central area. 
And what he does is pass it to Gonzalo Higuain, and Gonzalo Higuain just takes it, and kind of Pizarro kind of just has to uh, defer, and and he takes a step back, but it's awkward because he has to move out of the way as as uh, excuse me as Higuain's trying to dribble forward, and their spacing is not good, and that's because they keep going into the same exact areas, or they keep occupying a lot of the similar areas. And again, it's not the only time that that's happened in this game or in this season. Pizarro earlier in the year talked about how they were trying to work on things. It's part of the reason why Pizarro has gone from being a, a, a number 10, being used centrally, to now being used out wide on the wing. It's because they occupy too many similar areas. And Iguain said after the game, another notable quote he had in this one was that he said he prefers playing as a number 9, that he likes being the striker, but he's by and large not fed the ball there so he gets bored. That was his word. He gets bored. So he has to drop back to try to find the ball, get his touches in the game, and try to get involved in the buildup. He said he would he would prefer to just be a number nine, but that his teammates don't find him and don't play him through on goal often enough or, or as, as often enough as he would like. That's what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, he's taking two spots right now. He only needs to take one as a nine. Let Pizarro take the other one. Let him take the other one. But he's not. But that's yeah. what, that's what I'm saying. But again, so I agree with you that Iguain should not be playing those two spots. That should be one or the other. But he's doing so because he's not getting the ball, and no one's finding him and hitting those passes in behind. Now, I also have my questions as to how much speed Iguain has to really be testing defenses with runs in behind. But Pizarro doesn't do that either. Pizarro doesn't hit those balls. He's not the only one. You can look at Gregory. You can look at Blaise Matuidi. Players in advanced positions don't hit those balls to Iguain. So that leads him when, to drop back. But Pizarro doesn't do it either. Pizarro there, doesn't do that. When the chemistry is there, you know, all that that you're mentioning right now, it just flows. Everything goes with the flow, you know. Pizarro gets the ball in the middle and he already knows where Pipita likes the ball. So he'll get it there. And that's the one thing you have with Pizarro, you know, he's a 10. So, you know, obviously Inter Miami, they're not using him as a 10 for most of the game. At least at times they let him go back to, to that position. He's very good with the ball. So if he's able to develop a chemistry with Pipita Higuain, you know, Pipita will forget about coming back and trying to get touches. He'll just score goals which is what he wants and so obviously if you look at one or two plays um from the game against columbus or two or three weeks ago you know you're going to find flaws because you know the chemistry is not there yet so i wouldn't tell you you know jose if, we're 22 games into the season for inter miami if the chemistry is not there 22 games into the season i don't know if i don't know if it's going to get there because how much more time do you need to get the chemistry to get the chemistry right between two of your designated players? Well, two things. First, um, Rolo Pizarro and Pipite Guayin have been injured for a while. Second, they play positions that haven't allowed them to combine each other as much as they should. And um, understanding that the team is doing well right now, I'm not going to ask Phil to change things up so that um, Pipita and, and Rodo can become best friends. I'm not going to ask that from him because... <laughs> but they don't have to be best friends. I'm not saying be best friends, but they need to be able to, like you said, have that chemistry on the field and connect and combine. They're, two, they're the two attacking designated players. Their understanding is vital to push this team to another level. You've, we just talked about how the attack is leaving something to be desired, how the attack, this model of winning games by tight margins and an opportunistic finishing is not sustainable. One way to resolve that would be to have your DPs find the same page and get on the same page and find one another and connect and combine. But they don't do that because they like to occupy similar areas or because they just don't... I don't think that they fit together. I don't think that their their skill sets fit together or Phil Neville's not finding the way to get them to, to play off one another in the best way because it just isn't working. And I think the stats show that. Again, just to go back to how I started this this topic was one goal between them directly. One goal that they've directly played to one another in all of this season. Yes, Higuain's missed games because he was on a training regimen and he also missed games because of personal matters throughout the season. Pizarro was injured as well at different points, but they've had the they've had a still a plenty of games together and it just hasn't worked. And it's not like this is their first season together. They played together last year and Pizarro also coincidentally had a big dip in form once Gonzalo Higuain arrived. So 
I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's if it's gonna fit or work. But trying to find a solution to that, or at least trying to find a way to improve that, to me, that partnership is is key to finding the next level for Inter Miami this season. If they can unlock that, Inter Miami can become a very good team because you know this, you know this. In MLS, a proven formula is having your number nine and number 10 be very impactful, very influential, especially when they can find each other. You know, look at Raul Ruidias with uh, with Nicolas Lodeiro and the Seattle Sounders in years past. Uh, you can go back to the Columbus Crew even last year. Giassi Zarda is up top with Lucas Elarrayan playing and operating behind him. There's plenty of examples of that throughout the league over the last 10 years. So if Inter Miami can unlock that, if Phil Neville can unlock that, then Inter Miami will, will take another step up. If they don't, then the attack will continue to be limited, and that's going to put a cap on, in my opinion, a cap on the ceiling that Inter Miami can hit in 2021 with this team. Yeah, hopefully we get an opportunity to see them play together this year. Um, I agree that you know they should be able to at least play at a higher level together by this time because of the experience they have had together. But for some reason, the chemistry is not there. So it's up to Phil to find a way to build that chemistry, although it's going to be really tough for them to connect if if uh, Rodo is playing in the wing and, uh, and Pipita is coming back looking for touches so often during a game. That's going to be a challenge. But like I said, I'm not going to ask Phil to change the formation right now when it's working. Now, Listen. Oh, absolutely. I, don't 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 say I'm. I, I don't want anyone to think I'm saying change the formation. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But I do think that their partnership right. could be better. And the the other thing is that you know we're essentially facing the same scenario right now during the last few weeks, which is Inter Miami gets an advantage, um, does well defensively, ends up with three points. That's not going to happen every single game. It could happen tomorrow that Inter Miami is down early against a team that you're supposed to win, and then you're going to have to find a way to attack. Well, maybe that's the moment for Pizarro to go back to being a 10 and Pipita to be a little bit more concentrated on, on staying inside the box or near the box so that you can take advantage of your opportunities. So things can change. Hopefully we get to see a little bit different scenario offensively from this team, not because it's needed necessarily, but because, you know, feel... I'm sure in the back of his head, he's thinking, well, you know, this is not going to work for the rest of the year. At some point, we're going to have to score. I'll leave it with this. This was a quote from Rodolfo Pizarro on August 18th after he scored the game winner against the Chicago Fire off a pass from Victor Ulloa. He was asked about his about his relationship with Victor Ulloa. And this is what he said. I'm translating it into English, but he said this, quote, I think... Victor is one of the players that I most get along with and best understand. I think that with both of us being Mexican, we understand one another well, both on and off the field. I think we are players that try to pass to one another the most and that know what the other is going to do the most. End quote. I have never heard him say anything of the like about Gonzalo Higuain. And again, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that there's personal beef in there. I don't, I don't think that there's any personal like issue there. I just don't think that they get each other on the field that they understand each other off the field that they can play off of one another's strengths i think that the chemistry is just not there it's pretty non-existent for them and that i think the proof is in the pudding with the stats with the performances we'll see how they do we'll see how they do because i don't you know i didn't think it's was going to turn this around so maybe maybe they'll prove me wrong again and you know we'll see gonzalo Higuain and rodolfo pizarro combined for many goals during these final 12 games of the mls season I would agree with you. I would agree with you that, you know, the relationship between those two is not what we wanted it to be. But I think that's not a good example because I just asked a few hours ago in the press conference, uh, Pipite Wain, about everything that went on with Robbie Robinson in Chile. And he said he did not talk to Robbie at all about the situation that he went on. And you know that usually when something like that happens and you care about a teammate, you go and at least ask what's going on. Do you need anything? Do you want me to talk about it? You know? So um, on the field, it looks like the relationship between Pipita and Robbie Robinson is really good. So based on that answer that he gave me, I'm not going to tell you that the relationship between those two players is not good at all. 
So I'm just saying, maybe not a good example. A relationship no. could, could what? I dis- I dis- I disagree with that too because we've seen Gonzalo Higuain feed Rolfo Pis- uh, excuse me. We've seen Gonzalo Higuain feed Robbie Robinson four goals this season. We've seen them connect and create things. We don't see that with Pizarro and, and Gonzalo Higuain. And I could go on and on because there's another play in that second half where Pizarro has the ball and Higuain tries to make a run in behind and, and he doesn't get the pass because Pizarro just stands on the ball and makes a safe pass and Higuain throws his arms up in the air. There's num- there's numerous examples of them just not looking like they are on the same page. But we'll leave it there because we've, we've gone on quite a bit about it. Let's see how the, how the duo does this week and in the games to come. Maybe in a in a few more pods, we'll come back and say Jose was right, or we'll say, "Hey, Franco, you were right." We'll see how it goes. But let's take a quick break. We'll come back after that and take a, a, a preview look at the upcoming game against Toronto FC. The players are just beginning to smell something is happening, and uh, you know, sometimes you want to play things down, sometimes you want to just keep your feet on the floor, which we will do. But but we've got tremendous momentum, and uh, what I've said to the players now is that we we go to Toronto. Uh, with the same kind of attitude, uh, with the same kind of determination. And and this is a big week for Inter-Miami Football Club. Okay, Jose, that last segment got pretty spicy. I liked it. Good little debate there. So now let's try to switch gears, though, and look at Tuesday night's game against Toronto FC. The worst team in MLS, giving up a whopping 48 goals, I believe it is. I'm look, going again off the top of my head. Should have the stats in front of me, but I don't right now. What do you expect from Inter-Miami in this one? Phil Neville said he might make some changes. He's going to play a fresh team. I imagine we'll see some some uh, some different personnel out there. But what do you expect from this one for Inter-Miami? Well, I think, you know, we have to go back to what we were talking about, um, Cincinnati, the game before um, Cincinnati on that podcast. And, and, and I mentioned that, you know, that, that was a must win for for Inter Miami, so I, I think we're in this back in the same the same spot. I think they they have to win. It doesn't really matter where you play Toronto; you just have to win against them because everybody has been able to do so, <laughs> and you don't want to let you don't want to leave uh, points in the table. So, and especially right now when you need them, because if Inter Miami is able to win that game, you're talking you're talking about a playoff spot basically. So, um, not secure, but you know, being within the reach for a playoff spot. So I, I think it is a, a, a must win. The one thing that makes me think about this game and, and, and brings me a little bit of doubt, you know, it, it's the fact that they just played on Saturday. Um, they, they travel today. Um, you know, it's a quick turnaround. And so uh, we like the system uh, so far from, from Inter Miami the last few weeks. But if, if you take a look at it, you, you'll find that, you know, basically, there there are only a few changes in the lineup, and, and they come because of injury. Now, Phil is forced to make changes because they will be flying back on Wednesday and then playing on on Friday again. So that's the one thing that makes me worried a little bit about this about this game tomorrow. But still, you know, when it comes to the standings, you have to win this game. You're supposed to be a better team. You, you carry a good momentum right now. The momentum is on your side. So I, I would hope, you know, Inter-Miami wins this game. Maybe not like they did in Cincinnati. They can be a little bit more convincing with their style and and and, and scoring more goals. But if it's a 1-0 again in the 90th minute, that's all Inter-Miami needs. So for me, I expect Inter-Miami to win this game. I expect it to be, look, I'm not going to say it's going to be an easy game, but given the competition, and I'll correct myself, it's actually 49 goals that Toronto FC has given up this season. Still, all the still, excuse me, all the same, still the highest total surrendered in 2021 in Major League Soccer. But it's clearly not going to be the toughest test that Inter Miami has had. Now, it's a short turnaround. They have to travel. Those are things to take into consideration. But I still think Inter Miami should be able to get the job done here. I think they should be able to get the job done. Toronto FC is in a bad way. They are hurting right now. Their starting strikers, their their main options up top are injured. Alejandro Pozuelo's injured. Yes, Jefferson Soteldo, the Venezuelan international, as he showed in the home game here last month, he can hurt you. He's got talent on the ball. 
But I expect Inter-Miami to be able to win this one, even with some changes in the personnel, because again, Toronto is just in that bad of shape. So for me, it's definitely a, a very winnable game, and anything less than a win would be disappointing. I don't know if it's a must-win, but anything less than a win would be a disappointing result. Jose, for you, what's the key to the game for Inter-Miami? What do they have to do in this one to come away with the three points? I think they just have to be effective in front of goal. You know, sometimes when you're facing a team that you're supposed to be, um, that you're supposed to beat, um, the one thing that um, gets in your way is the mental side of the game, right? If you go into the game thinking, oh my God, I have to score three to four goals in this team. I have to win um, this game no matter what. You can put a little bit of pressure on yourselves. And, and then, you know, if the goal you know, if for some reason they're playing a good game defensively, you already mentioned the numbers, but, you know, they are allowed to have at least one good game in the regular season defensively. And if that happens to be against Inter Miami, you know, you want to take advantage of your opportunities. You don't want to let them to believe that they can actually win this game. And so for that, you have to take advantage of your opportunities. And if they come early, even better, you have to score early just to let them know that you're going to the di- dictate the tempo in this game and you're going to take the three points home. So that, that would be key for me. I would say just being more aggressive against a team that's practically out of, out of the race. They're in last place, in 14th place in the Eastern Conference, and they have 15 points through 23 games. So their season is practically done. Maybe not mathematically, but practically it's all but over. Take a little more risks, show a little more sharpness in that final third, and find some goals. The last time they played together, Inter-Miami came out with its first multi-goal win in franchise history, and Inter-Miami looked, by and large, the better team in that one. It's probably been one of the most convincing victories Inter-Miami has had in 2021. The the goal that they gave up was an own goal from Kieran Gibbs, so never were really that troubled. Inter-Miami just... I think if they can be more aggressive and be more a little bit more attack-minded, I think that they will take care of business in this one. That's the key to the game for me in this one. Just just be more attack-minded and then obviously be a little bit sharper there in the final in the final third. Jose, do you have any idea or do you want to take any guess as to what changes we could see from Phil Neville on a quick turnaround with another game happening on another quick turnaround on Friday? Do you want to venture to guess or do you just want to uh, say that we should expect some changes? Because this is going to be pretty tough to, to predict. Yeah, it's going to be tough to predict. I'm, I'm going to give you some names that I think will get an opportunity. I think Juli Carranza will start. Um, I think uh, you have to give a breather to at least one of the center backs, and probably you can only give a breather to one of them because I, I don't know if you have enough to right. two of them out. So th- that will leave Kevin, Kevin Leardham uh, starting. Um, I think Indiana might get an opportunity, but I don't know if, uh, if Phil wants to um, shake uh, things in a drastic way, um, I'll say Victor Ulloa as, uh, as well can start in the middle. You know, Victor is basically a starter, honestly, because any time that Blaze hasn't been available or Gregory, um, Victor steps up and, and he actually plays like a starter. He's plays at a, at a good level. I like him a lot. And so um, I think those are the names that, co- that come to mind that, and they will probably get an opportunity. And, and obviously, you know, uh, Phil will not, or the, or anybody in the coaching staff will never tell you that they actually want to leave, uh, you know, the, the 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 core of their starting group um, for Friday because, of course, on Friday they they will be facing a different team than than what they will be facing tomorrow. But you know, I think mm-hmm. tomorrow is the time for Juli Carranza to get an opportunity, and and those names that I mentioned, uh, that would be my guess. I think I agree with you. I think Julian Carranza gets a start for Gonzalo Higuain. I think he gets a rest against the worst team. In the, in the Eastern Conference, he could come off the bench, Higuain can, if he's needed. But I think that they, they throw in Julian Carranza up top. I do agree with you that Kelvin Leardem can start in this one or, or will probably start in this one. I think he'll come in, I would say, for Leandro Gonzalez-Pires just because Leandro Gonzalez-Pires is the oldest of the three center backs. He also tends to get forward a little bit more and expend a little bit more energy. At least that's what I would guess or surmise from from watching the games where Nicolas Figal kind of plays that modern sweeper role. So he's not he's not necessarily moving or covering a whole lot of ground. And Christian McCoon also 
kind of just is very positionally and tactically sound. So I think Kelvin Leard and for Leandro Gonzalez Pires. I agree with you that Indiana Vasilev or Victor Yoa and Indiana Vasilev are options that I think could see the field. Maybe we see Yoa for Blaise Matuidi. I would say maybe Indiana Vasilev could come on for Pizarro, but I think Pizarro gets another start. That's just 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 what I think. I, my, my so my prediction would be that you'll see three changes, and that'll be Kelvin Leardian for Leandro Gonzalez Pires. You'll see Victor Ulloa for Blaise Matuidi, and you'll see Julian Carranza up top for Gonzalo Higuain. Those are my predictions for the three changes Phil Neville will make to the starting group. Also think also noting that Indiana Vasilev could come in on that right side for Rodolfo Pizarro. Jose. Quickly, what do you think about this weekend's game? Give me a prediction. Does Inter-Miami continue this fine run of form and maybe jump over the red line, jump over the playoff line at long last, or will it be a disappointing result for the team? Well, you failed to mention that um, the last time we predicted a score, I predicted a win for (laughs) Inter-Miami against Columbus, and you predicted, what what did you predict? You want to say it or you to, we want me to tell everybody did, else. Did I predict a draw? Did I predict a loss? I, don't, I, can't, I honestly don't remember. Yeah, you did. So, yeah, you remember. Which, which one? A draw or a loss? Which one did I predict? A draw. A you draw. said a okay. draw. Okay. So, okay. I'll give myself credit for that one. <laughs> I think they'll win some nice shameless patting uh, of the back so, by Jose Armando. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think they'll win tomorrow, and it's going to be 1 0 again, but it's not going to be dramatic. They will score early. And, um, and yeah, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna hold on to the result. You know, one nil is more than enough. Another one zero victory for the team, huh? I say Inter Miami wins, but I think it'll be a two to one victory for the South Florida side. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how, how Inter Miami deals with the turnaround and the personnel changes. Definitely things to keep an eye on there. Also, let's take a quick break. We'll come back for a very quick Q and A session and our final thoughts after this. Okay, Jose, I know you're pressed on time, but I'm keeping you around for the Q&A session this week. So let's quickly jump into the Q&A session. We'll just keep it short. We'll just do a couple of questions here. First one comes from Don Cafecito. McCoon is improving, still young and consistently performing well on the pitch lately. Do you think the Venezuelan national team will call him soon? We are thin at center back, so I hope they haven't noticed him. Jose, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yeah, I can start. Okay. Well, first off, it's great when players go to the national team. I don't know, for some reason, so many people think that's a bad thing for players to leave for two or three games at the most. That it's great. It is great for players, for Inter-Miami players to go and compete at the international level. Because when they come back, they are better players. And you want to have good players on your team. So that's the first thing. Second, I don't think he's ready yet. I think Phil has mentioned... Um, quite a few times that the system right now is working in favor for Makun. I think he can get better, um, especially if you play four in the back. He will probably be the odd man out. So, you know, it's going to take time. He's only 21 years old. He's, have, he's having a, a good time right now, enjoying with, playing with his teammates. So he's a good player, but I think the national team, you know, that's going to come later for him. I think the concern, well, first to address that, I think the concern that some fans have is that not having them around will impact not having them for games, which in MLS is true because MLS plays through international windows by and large. So not having them for games means that you're thinner, you're weaker as a roster or as a team. Maybe you can still get results, but maybe you don't. And if you don't, obviously that impacts your standing. So I get the sentiment from Don Cavacito, especially with how we said how thin Inter-Miami is at the center-back position right now, especially with Ryan Shawcross and Ventura Alvarado still nursing injuries. To answer Don Cavacito's question directly, do I think the Venezuelan team will call, national team will call him up soon? I would say no, not, not yet, not yet. I could see him maybe getting called up in November if he sustains this level for a bit longer. I don't know if October, I think maybe... He needs to sustain this level a little bit longer. But by November, especially with how Venezuela is doing in World Cup qualifying in, in South America, 
if they don't get that many points in three games, maybe the Venezuelan national team throws the towel on this this campaign, this qualifying campaign, and says, all right, let's start planning for the future. Let's start building for the future. Let's give some young guys that we have in the pipeline some opportunities. Let's see them train up close and personal. So I think in November, maybe he could get the call. I think October is a bit too soon. Not only because I think he still has to show uh, more of these type of games and these type of performances, but I also think Venezuela is still in the mix somewhat, although their 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 hopes are, are, are quickly fading. But I think they're going to try to make one final push, and if they can't, then maybe they switch gears and start bringing in some younger younger players like McCoon. Next question, and it'll be our last question, comes from Roberto Rivadeneira. Let's talk about Carranza. I haven't seen him score a goal. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you think they should try to pair him with Higuain to see if they have a good combination? I know Jose likes talking about Julian Carranza. I think Jose rates Julian Carranza higher than I do. So, Jose, I will give you the floor unless you want me to go first. <laughs> no, I can take this one. Uh, listen, I, I just want uh, Julian Carranza to have an opportunity. I don't know what he's going to do because I haven't seen much from him. And we actually uh, saw them play together, uh, Pipita and, and, and Juli, over the weekend. But they were together for basically not even 20 minutes because I think Juli came on at the 70th and, and Pipita left uh, just a few minutes after that. But um, I don't know if they're going to be great together. But I think Juli Carranza deserves an opportunity. I think, um, you know, um, there must be a reason why Inter Miami decided to sign him so early on. And so I think he deserves an opportunity. Hopefully he'll get it soon. I think tomorrow could be an important night for him. And, you know, it's also a matter of of, uh, when he's on the field, you know, you have to make an impact to make Phil Neville think twice about bringing you in and you have to learn that you you have to adjust if you want to get opportunities right look at robert robinson robert robinson came in and he was basically a nine and you know he had to adjust and move to one of the wings well maybe at some point juli carranza will have to take on that challenge so i think we have seen Iguain and and carranza play side by side not just this past weekend but in other occasions although it hasn't been very consistent the 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 times that we've seen them play together i think again he'll get his opportunity on tuesday night versus toronto fc as for whether he scored a goal or not he has not scored one this season he scored one in the expansion year in 2020 he had two goals in the same game against orlando city that first game at drive pink stadium after the mls's back tournament scored two good goals in that one but since then just big dry spell for him and he's never really gotten going do I think they should try pairing him with Higuain? I mean, for me, I don't think that that's going to necessarily work. I think if you put in two strikers, that takes away from the defensive part of the team because you have two players in more advanced positions. So I don't think that they should pair them. I think they should stick with what's worked. But Carranza needs to make the most of the opportunities he's given, which should come, at least one should come this week. So let's leave it there for the Q&A session. Jose Let's give our final thoughts. We'll start with yours. I'll give mine, and we'll wrap up the show after that. I think for this week, my final thought, it's, you know, I, I, I want to mention... Is it, on, I wanna, is it on PlayStation 5? Because I know you're looking for one. <laughs> yeah, I'm still looking for a PlayStation 5, by the way. So if anybody has one laying around someplace in South Florida, please let me know. <laughs> All right. That, let's, <laughs> that's, that's good, Franco. Thank that, you. That might be your nickname. Uh, that might be your nickname, PS5 Jose. <laughs> <laughs> Edison Ascona. Hopefully, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's on Friday, I cannot wait to see this young kid play. He's exciting to watch, and he's the one player for the future that Miami that Miami has on the roster right now. And if everything that with everything that is going to happen when it comes to budget and restrictions for the next few years, Edison Ascona deserves an opportunity. He'll get it, and hopefully, he stays here for a while because I think. He has the talent in a few years to go to the higher level possible. The hype train is real. The Ascona hype train is leaving the station and Jose is the conductor. Wow, I did not expect that that one as your final thought. My final thought will be on something we didn't touch on in the first segment that happened this weekend, but I had to touch on it, of course. And that's the run-in that Phil Neville had with Caleb Porter or their exchange, their animated exchange after the game. 
They had a, a pretty, they had an exchange of words. And then after the game, Phil Neville was asked about it. He kind of reluctantly gave a response. He didn't want to give up a whole lot at first, but eventually does. And he says that he felt that Caleb Porter broke the code of conduct between coaches and accused all the referees of wearing Phil Neville shirts, etc., <laughs> etc. It was, it, I mean, look, when, when, when Phil Neville said it, I'm not going to lie, in the press conference when, as he was saying it, I chuckled quietly because anyone that's been around MLS for a long time knows that that's Caleb personal Caleb Porter's personality by and large that he he does get uh his feathers ruffled and he does he does have that chip on his shoulder. Phil Neville also took responsibility afterwards for maybe his response or his reaction and said that maybe that he you know he he could have handled it better paraphrasing there he didn't use those exact words but it was it was a good bit of personality there between the two coaches who who had a little bit of a war of words. The two teams will play again later this season, so something to keep an eye on. I imagine that they'll they'll play nice and that they'll get you know cooler heads will prevail when they do, but maybe they won't. So keep an eye on that when when the Columbus Crew and Inter Miami play in Columbus, Ohio later this year. But that does it for this week's show. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Please don't forget to give us a follow on all our social media channels and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back again later this week. Just because they're short turnarounds does not mean we're not going to give you guys the shows you're looking for. So we'll be back later this week to recap this game against Toronto FC and preview the following match on Friday night against the New York Red Bulls. For Jose Armando, I am Franco Panizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again very, very